News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel. Professor Christina Greer is away this week. Uh, I'm here with uh, Alex Brooklyn and Victoria Mendez, and we are joined by Julie Setau, author of the highly entertaining The Plaza, The Secret Life of America's Most Famous Hotel. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. So fill us in for people who haven't read it yet. How did you end up writing a history of the plaza? And uh, what is the book and sort of the story of this elegant, iconic hotel? Tell us about where the country has been and where it's going. Yeah. Yeah, um, All that stuff. Everything you (laughs) just said. In in a very concise one sentence. Um, Yes. 40 characters or less. 40. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. Um, So I had been thinking about different book ideas for a while. And I actually went to a book panel and was listening to panelists talk about uh, their books. And afterwards, I was speaking with one of the panelists and we were talking about book ideas. And I told her I I mostly covered real estate. And she was like, I've always wanted to read a a history of the plaza. And I was like, what a cool idea. You know, it's such a good idea. So I started um, looking into it and I found out that there really hadn't been a history of the hotel written since 1960s and so much had happened uh, at the hotel in the intervening decades. And as I started to look further into it, I really realized that the story of the plaza is the story of money in New York and the, the story of wealth and how that has changed over the past century or more than a century. Um, so that was really exciting to me. I would say that's that's the big sort of picture story. What struck me about um, what I had read was also not just the history of, of money um, and, and wealth in New York, but the history of the perception yes. of money and wealth in the city, which was really interesting. You get into Eloise and you get into like when Fitzgerald was there and then the 50s and the Beatles going there and all this stuff. So it wasn't just what was really going on, but it was also like the front Yes. That everyone was putting on in the city at that time. I thought that oh, was that's interesting. a cool microcosm. Yeah. It was amazing to me as I was doing the research that every decade, whatever was happening at the plaza was really a reflection of what was happening in the city at large and even the country oftentimes. So it was this perfect mirror or lens to tell this social history, which which was very exciting. <laughs> yeah. There, there was this owner of the plaza, I had to look up um, Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. There were a number of very famous owners. Of course, Donald Trump is one of the most famous now. Researching the book, I was like, oh, you know, he's so easy to get to. I'm not really that worried about getting an interview. I'd spoken with him in the past. And so I was sort of going chronologically. So I was working in the 1910s, the 1920s. And of course, by the time I got to uh, about the 1950s, I would say Trump won the election. So (laughs) I sort of lost my opportunity, although I I did get to speak with Eric. Yeah. So Trump owned the hotel. He, uh, He bought it at sort of the height of the go-go 80s, the height of his real estate prowess. He bought it for um, almost half a million dollars per hotel room, which was a crazy price. He borrowed the entire amount from the banks, including even the closing costs. Like, he literally paid nothing. 
And then a little over three years later, he became the first owner ever in over a century to bankrupt the plaza. So it was sort of a microcosm in itself, kind of a great way to do the 80s. Even the first guy <laughs> who was like ruined by the crash yes, didn't yes. even bankrupt the plaza. Yes, exactly. It's true. Like the plaza made it through the Depression, the 1970s. <laughs> it made it through a lot of errors, but it could not, it could not make it through Trump's ownership. This is 1989, right? Um, he bought it in 88. He did the buy low, sell high thing, but in reverse and with other people's <laughs> exactly. money. <laughs> exactly. That was a that was his strategy. Um, you know, the thing is that the plaza actually did really well under his tenure. And what I focused on in the book was really Ivana because he was there and he, you know, he had lots of parties there and, uh, you know, he he did his thing at the plaza. But it was really Ivana who was running it in the day to day. And I thought that was really interesting because she was she's really the only female owner that the plaza's ever had. And she did a great job. I mean, the plaza was actually really profitable and making a lot of money. But Trump did such a bad business deal that no matter how much money it was making, they couldn't pay down the debt that they that he piled on it. So shout out to the Kushner. <laughs> yeah. Six, 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 seven. Exactly. Can, can I ask you a question though? Yeah. So so one deal Trump did a very good job with, and I believe you mentioned there's a Times editorial about this, is what he was paying to have the place run, right? It was a uh, dollar a year plus dresses. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, he famously quipped that he would pay his wife uh, $1 and all the dresses she could buy. And she actually uh, framed that dollar bill, Ivana, and put it in her plaza office. Today, we're going to discuss financial abuse. She, she, it was really profitable. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, we can talk more about Ivana. She was interesting. She, she was incredibly detail oriented and it was this very difficult time between the Trumps. They were basically on the verge of divorce. He was actually having his affair with Marla Maples and he put her up in a, an apartment like a block away from the plaza and a about a block away from where his kids and his wife lived. And so he would he would go from the plaza over to visit Marla. And, you know, it was kind of this big joke. Um, everyone knew about it, the doorman and stuff. And Ivana felt like, according to, you know, reporting by lots of people, that she felt like if she'd made the plaza a success, it would be one way to win back Donald. So she really worked hard. I mean, she would get down on her hands and knees in her Chanel pumps and tell the housekeeping staff exactly how to make the beds. She was ordered uh, a certain colored flowers in the in the lobbies. She made sweets. She, she worked really hard. Um, but obviously, she wasn't successful in then, Donald. <laughs> there was this debt load. Right. Yes. And there's this interesting pivot with Donald Trump, I think, from these American hustlers and entrepreneurs yeah. and such to yeah. the plaza becoming the story of West New York and where maybe a different part of New York of like world money. Exactly. I thought it was really interesting. And I should say, too, that, you know, Michael Cohen is, is known as Trump's fixer. But actually, the first fixer he had was Abe Wallach. And Abe really played the Michael Cohen role for Trump back then. And he tried really hard. He did all kinds of shenanigans to try to keep keep the, uh, the plaza for Trump, which I get into. Oh, but, is he the guy that's like hiding yeah. in the other room while they're trying to negotiate, <laughs> exactly. trying to like do a little yeah. sabotage? Yeah, he, he tried to sabotage the deals, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, basically after Trump lost the plaza, it sort of was a shift where the plaza had been this kind of American icon and it had been owned by Conrad Hilton. It was owned by this guy, Harry Black, who, who actually built the plaza, who also built the Flatiron Building, you know, 
all these kind of big American hotelier personalities, Donald Trump. And then after he bankrupted it, the creditors sold it to a Singaporean billionaire and this Saudi prince, Al-Walid bin Talal, who's been in the news in recent decades, recently even. And it was sort of the beginning of foreign ownership. And even today, the hotel's owned by the government of Qatar. So it's it's never really gone back into American hands. And I think it's really symbolic of the globalization of wealth and of money. And like I talked about, the overreaching arc is the kind of history of money. And you start out with Alfred Gwynne Vanderbilt and these kind of really American personalities, and you end up with foreign owners. And, I, I want to yeah. talk labor history, but before we get there... Yeah. Were you married at the plaza? I was. Because you mentioned this very brief intro and never come back to it. Well, you know, no, it's weird. I, you know, as a journalist, um, you know, you usually keep the third person, you know, you keep your personality out of it. New, New yeah. York Sun flashback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in the New York Sun's incredible, crazy style guide, which which I have, but I'm not allowed to share in full. Right, um, one of the, the rules for I – like the letter I, mm-hmm. uh, was a reporter may begin a story with I only if the reporter has been shot in the groin. <laughs> and I was always sure I was going to get shot that, in the arm uh, and just wow. blow my blow my, my <laughs> eye with. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah. anyway, as we proceed. Well, I, I did really struggle with it. I felt really awkward. And I do actually in the epilogue, I think I use I, I go back and I, I stay at the plaza after doing all this research and I just sort of let the feelings wash over me of being there after, you know, studying it for three years. So it was, it was intense, you know, and the plazas, you know, as a New Yorker, I grew up here. It's a, it's like iconic. It's like the Brooklyn Bridge or the Empire State Building. It's just a a piece of New York. So it was always kind of a a presence. And I should say that it was my mother who wanted me to get married there. Not, not necessarily me. Where do you, can you, will you tell it like what room, what hall? I got, yes, I, I got married in the terrace room. Is that the one with like the atrium looking kind of ceiling? Mm, um, it has like paintings all over the ceiling and yeah, like it's it's very opulent. It was right after it was made into condominiums and was redone all the rooms. So. What are some of the most major style changes that were implemented? Like I used to do uh, production design and looking through some old Library of Congress stuff and I saw mm. the menus and what they looked like in 1912 and what they looked like in the 30s when all the eccentrics and bohemians yeah. were there that you talked about and what they then looked like in the 70s. So if there was any major design and style changes, like where would that have come yeah, in? Yeah, so I have in my in my book, I, I don't know how well it comes out, but I, I did do a map of 1907 and then 2007, trying to kind of show some of the differences. The facade is a landmark, and so it has really basically stayed the same since it was first built. The rooms, some of the historic rooms, did transform. For instance, like where the lobby is now used to be the uh, Persian Room, which was the like a big nightclub that was really popular in the 1940s. But, you know, the Oak Room and the Edwardian Room, which unfortunately are, are closed to the public now, um, are basically what they were back then. I mean, the usages changed over time, but the rooms themselves largely remained, which is partly why it's so significant. So, yeah. That's cool. Did, um, did like, uh, 
uh, I keep wanting to say Ivanka, but that's yeah, his daughter. Yeah, I know, it's very confusing. Uh, yeah, but Ivana. Ivana. Yeah. Uh, w- were there big, like, she there did. was no, like, golden <laughs> toilets. Yes, she did, she did do some decor changes, you know. And even today, according to Eric Trump, there are still the Trump chandeliers that you can see uh, around the hotel. And she did hire painters to put real gold filigree on many of the uh, accents around the hotel. Like actual gold leaf yes, or whatever? like actual gold leaf, yeah. I mean, that could— um, She spent a lot of money. I uh, could have saved a little. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And, and you know, she put in the gold swan faucets in the in the suites. You know, there were definitely some Trump Like 24-karat gold swan um, faucets? Well, I, I, you know what? That's a good question. Whether those were real gold, I'm, I'm not sure. Probably right, everybody, not. let's go to the plaza <laughs> right. and let's, let's Probably bite. Probably not. Let's I think bite if they were gold, faucets. I'm sure they've been removed by now. <laughs> um, yeah, subsequent owners basically did everything they could to siphon all the money away from the plaza for their own self-aggrandizement. So those would be gone by now. One of my all-time favorite Trump quotes is from a 1990 Playboy interview. It's the same one where he uh, praised the uh, the Chinese for, for, for being strong at uh, Tiananmen. Um, Oof. He said— Am I going to get in trouble for this one? <laughs> Mark in his style. Um, I have glitzy casinos because people expect it. I'm not going to build a lobby of the IBM office. Glitz hmm. works in Atlantic City, and yet the Plaza Hotel has been brought back to its original elegance in 1907. So I don't use glitz in all cases. <laughs> and in my residential buildings, and this is like the Trump topography, um, I sometimes use flash, which is a level below glitz. <laughs> That's awesome. Flash is a level below glitz. Wow, I had no idea. But now the plaza got glitz. I mean. Not flash. I would think so. Um, but it, yes, I would, I would say it was glitz, not flash. So... People should just buy the book and read this in full. They should. They should. Shout out to buying books. At your no, local serious bookstore. shout out to buying books. Not oh, at yes. Amazon, please, people. Not at Amazon yes. or from uh, We Lost a Pirate bookseller um, this this month, Michael Seidenberg. He was an incredible man, and he ran a secret bookstore. Really? But there are other pirate booksellers actually I out have there. no idea. There's a woman named uh, Jen Fisher who sells uh, books on a table outside of Luster Film Developing, and she's kind of like taking over the reins for pirate book selling. Because yeah. um, right below us, book... Book 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 closed, which yes. we've been uh, we documented on our Instagram feed. Very sad. Um, so that's a yeah. smooth segue to 1907. Yeah, there we go. You always worry when you're when you're researching a big project that you're gonna not find stuff, and I was really excited to find stuff uh, for the plaza and labor union history was one of them that was really surprising to me. I did find consistently through the decades. I I had. Let me let me step back by saying my first interaction with the plaza as a reporter was actually covering it for the New York Sun um, when it was converted into condominiums, par- par- partially converted. It shines for all. Yes, it shines. <laughs> and so I was, you know, had sourcing and, and that's how I sort of was able to st- – to write my sample chapter and get my book deal and start the whole process. But um, so that was a union story. But um, back in the day, um, you know, uh, 
I, I discovered that, uh, that actually before the hotel was even constructed, there was this union strife, which is, I think, what you were referring to. So, yeah, when the hotel was being built, um, iron workers were these highly skilled construction workers who were unionized. Union laws obviously lagged far behind. You'll know much more about that than me. But um, so they were quite upset when the builders hired non-union guys to do the less skilled union work at the plaza. So, so as I read it, right, you have these skilled laborers who are literally basically like throwing molten. I mean, it's crazy. Up on, you know. Around. But they're, they're on the higher floors. Yes. Doing the most skilled work as as the, the metal is going up. Exactly. And, and the skeleton of the building. And yes. then it's like a floor below them. It's like, well, here are the guys we can pay 35% less. Exactly. And these guys were not happy about it. Of course. This. And, you know, it's understandable. I should say that these iron workers were, you know, they this was before you had safety helmets or harnesses or anything. I mean, they were up in the air, like you said, throwing molten metal, and it was intense work. Um, and you have the iconic men on the beam. Yes, exactly. The, the steel skeleton was really what made a skyscraper a skyscraper. It was critical for the history of New York and the history of skyscrapers. So this was a very very important role before uh, the steel skeleton, you know, you couldn't have these super tall buildings. And actually, interesting side note, the guy who built the plaza, his father-in-law invented that steel structure. It was, uh, his his <laughs> name is in the, is in the, his name <laughs> is, is in, in the book. That's why um, you need to I'm buy the book, right folks. Now. That's why you yes. need to buy the book and um, you need to read it, but not but from Amazon. Yes. And, and um, Harry Black's wife uh, was his, his daughter. And actually, Harry Black and the plaza, basically, he took over that company, and it was part of the reason why he was able to build the plaza. So it all comes full circle. But um, regardless, the he these iron workers were very upset that the non-skilled workers had been brought on to the building site, and so um, they started throwing hot metal down on them, Ooh. or or pieces of equipment. That's or, like a, that's yes. like Braveheart. No, it was. The, I mean, like, these were some tough guys. Yes, isn't there that scene in Braveheart where they're like. <laughs> throwing pitch on the on the army that's coming to try to take their wall that's like I that's mean, yes it was serious yeah so the owners hired security guards to try to keep the peace and these security guards were ex patrolmen but they you know weren't used to walking on the 8th floor uh with no you know netting underneath them right so they are walking sort of tentatively and trying to keep the peace but all that did was really make the skilled unionized iron workers really angry that they were being watched. So basically, they beat up three of them, and one of them they beat up so badly that he died. They actually threw his body off the eighth floor. Allegedly, you could say. Allegedly. It's true. It's true. Because there was a... uh, a court case. Uh, the Times had a big front page article. They called it "Murder in Midair," which my husband always finds really funny because it's only the eighth floor. The, the um, husband you uh, married at the yeah, plaza. Exactly. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, and uh, and so yeah, these there was a big court case. It was a big deal, and because of various reasons, which you can read my book to find out, they all got off scot free. So. Uh, None of them. Whoa. Yeah, none of them did any jail time. But that was the the first bit of union news. And then in 1912, there was a really huge hotel worker strike because these guys made no money and they would work, you know, one day off a month. I mean, it was really. I mean, if they laughed, they were fined. I mean, they had all kinds of and crazy 1912, fines. That's Triangle Waistcoat Factory Fire is like 1912 or 1913. I think it's it's it's. I it's think one it of those, but it's right it's right, around, right around that time. Yeah, yeah. and so, like Al, Al Smith. 
We've got Al Smith as governor, and so we've got like right before some of the major labor-focused yes. laws are going to go into place. But this is right before it, right? So like, what's the city like around are like, are like the cowboys of the sky at this That's, point. Yes. And the, 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 the people who are working as waiters and whatnot, which is still, I think, the case a lot more than is credited. But, like, these are really, you know, Skil- skilled, skilled workers. This back is a ballet. Then, yes, back then, too, you have to remember, you know, they, they had to speak multiple languages because um, sometimes the guests were from France, you know, especially at a place like the plaza. You didn't just like throw when you the down, down on the table Abbey. and leave. Upstairs, exactly. downstairs, and they and they mm. co- uh, bitch very- or kavesh about how, like in modern times, service isn't what it used to yes. be. So okay, I yes. Think. So they staged a massive walkout. I should say, it used to be that um, a lot of the waiters at these hotels and restaurants were African American, and when a lot of the immigrants started coming from uh, the European countries, they lost their jobs and were replaced with white workers. And so a lot of these workers they walked out, and the plaza manager actually hired a bunch of African American. American waiters and uh, butlers and whatnot who had been working down in the resorts in the South and put them up in the hotel rooms and just in case they were going to walk out because they had, he had heard rumblings that this may happen. And when they did all walk out, he brought them all downstairs from their hotel rooms and just service went on as normal. And actually, they these guys tried to strike for a while, but eventually they couldn't really afford it, um, you know, not to get paid and stuff. So they ended up going back and the union was not recognized for what decades was the more. Demographic of the striker are they? Are we talking like Irish, Italian? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, because there was a mass immigration in the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, and stuff, and so they sort of replaced the African American waiters. So, and, and it had been reading this, I believe, it had been an all white staff, and then effectively became an all black staff because yeah. they brought up two thousand yeah. African American yes. waiters and others, and, and yeah. the, the rationale to the Times was. It is only because we do not believe in mixing our help that we've made no attempt to uh, yeah. to bring the colored waiters up north. That's right. But after the strike, um, he the the manager said you can all stay and keep your job. But they actually made. I mean, a lot of them made more money down south, so most of them left, or I think all of them. I don't think that you know. And they and like you said, it was I mean, exasperating <clears throat> tensions between the Irish and African Americans. Yeah, it was interesting. I yeah, I read a lot of you know. Yeah, it was. So there's a whole racial component, obviously, to it, too. Um, And then, you know, obviously we talked about 2005. The union was really – it was because of the hotel union that we still have a hotel component to the plaza. But in the so, 70s, when, oh, like, the whole city is, you know, pr- pretty much, like, financially bankrupt, on yeah. fire, what's – is there is there a bunch of labor stuff going on? It was that? interesting. I didn't – you know, I focused more on the ownership at that time because the plaza itself was, like, really struggling and barely um, making ends meet. And who owns it in the 70s? The Sonnabend family, Roger Sonnabend. He was sort of an interesting character. He was, like, this beatnik. He was on the Nixon enemy list. Um, he was kind of this hippie guy. Um, <laughs> it was sort of interesting. <laughs> If he runs the plaza yeah, during this, the decade know, when was, there's, like, garbage everywhere. I, literally, yeah, yeah. I have a photo in the book of, like, you know, like, seven-foot-high piles of garbage with, like, sanitation strikes and blackouts and all that stuff was going on. Is he, like, um, moo-moo, big total, gold medallion Euro, wearing Euro kind jackets. Of like, oh, okay. jacket. He had, like, goatee. So he's, like, a hippie in the plaza. Yeah, well, basically what happened was his very traditional Jewish father bought the plaza. And when his father died, uh, he was very smart. He went to, like, MIT. And uh, he, he basically— basically said, this is ridiculous. I'm not into this. And he divorced his first wife and he married an art dealer and he 
became this like beatnik guy. And uh, yeah, all the advertisements from the 70s are like Paisley's around the plaza. <laughs> you know, it was like Fantastic. a very different, different vibe. Um, so yeah, so that's more what I focused on. So let's go to when this condo conversion in full almost happened. Yeah. If you could stop there for a minute and also the tag sale. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love I that. know, I know. Was, you know, this was at the height of sort of the condominium boom in the city, and everything was being made into condominiums. And um, a condominium developer bought the plaza, and they wanted to make it into condos because that made much more sense than a big hotel. It was an Israeli guy, and he basically didn't really have a lot of experience with New York City politics or New York and didn't really understand what he was stepping into. And the city was like, no, you cannot, you know, just take the plaza and make it all into apartments for private people, but it was the unions that spearheaded that fight. The unions spent about $2 million. It was their biggest campaign like ever. It saved the plaza and they staged rallies and protests and basically said, we don't want, you know, the, the hotel to turn all into condominiums. They were also losing a lot of hotel jobs at the time because everything was being made into condos. I think it felt existential for, for organized labor at that point. Yes. You know, I if mean, the plaza goes, we're, we're past the tipping point. It, well, it's true. And, and the plaza was the biggest employer of uh, of the hotel union too. And it's true. I mean, the deal they made did set the bar and has uh, influenced other hotel condominium conversions. So it really was worthwhile. Yeah. Is the plaza the worst offender of like union busting in the city? <laughs> I mean, I've, obviously up until Hudson Yards, but like uh, I mean, that. I I I don't know. I the, the union and the and the hotel are still at odds, I should say. The reason why a lot of the important rooms are closed, the owners will say is because of the union. It's too expensive to pay waiters $40 an hour. They can't um, make a restaurant work at the Oak Room. You know, they'd have to charge so much that it doesn't make sense. That's their reasoning. You know, the union has other, you know, their So are there just a bunch of these gorgeous, like, shuttered rooms yes. at the plaza? What are, are they covered in white sheets like we would um, see in a they're movie, just like but- vacant with no furniture in them and they're used sometimes for private parties so you could rent it out potentially. But what happened was when the building was made into condos, they also condoized all pieces of the hotel so it's no longer like the hotel owner can control all these um, rooms so that's also part of the issue. <laughs> No, 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 we could be. We're, we're doing this. We're natural. Okay. Oh, we're this doing smooth. it and natural. This is smooth. smooth be smooth. <laughs> What's up with the Greek guy? <laughs> What's up with the Greek When I was reading, one of my favorite things was uh, the Greek guy that pretended to be a Palestinian terrorist (laughs) in order to extort money, and then it turned out he was just like, wait. He went to open his own restaurant. Right. (laughs) Victoria, what was his name? We can't pronounce it. We were trying. Pangiotis Vachos. Pangiotis Vachos? I think Vlakos. Pangiotis Vlakos. Pangiotis Vlakos. Yeah, he, uh, so that was in the 70s. That's like sort of symptomatic of what was going on in the city. He threatened to bomb the the plaza and the manager at the time had to pay ransom or tried to pay ransom to him, but he never ended up showing up. I guess finally he showed up the last time and uh, and they caught him. But Is yeah. he still in jail? We were trying to find out. I we couldn't no... find anything out about him. Oh, what a good, you know what? I did not, uh, ch- right. I'm sure he is not. I would hope my my uh, <laughs> All of our fans, any sleuths out there, like get us the info. Yeah. Slip into our DMs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's slide. 
Okay, <laughs> I'm being informed by uh, our episode producer and engineer, Adam Kamara, that it's actually slide into the DMs. And so now we know where I'm at. <laughs> so, so this was in like the, the, the great momming season of the early 70s, yeah. right? And he's like, what's yeah. up? It's me. It's Black September. Where's yeah. my 50 Gs? I'd prefer not to blow up the plaza. Yeah, exactly. And they just sort of ignore well, him. The- and he's like, hey, it's me again. You should definitely <laughs> put the money in a bag. And they get a little worried. Well, I think it was around the same time that like the son of Chiang Kai-shek was also like uh, they tried to, they tried to shoot him while he was walking into the plaza. Wait, what? And he, Who? What? Yeah, it was in there too. He like uh, he was walking into the plaza to give a keynote speech at a at a luncheon and um, someone shot shot at him and he dodged the bullet and then went in and gave the he speech. He dodged so, <laughs> the bullet? Yeah. And didn't mention it, right? Right, right. He just didn't even mention it. He just it like written. went on and yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many stories. But it's cool because it's not just, like, the glitz and glamour. There's, like, substantive stories, too, you know. Just to go back to, like, the perception of wealth. The 30s, you've got Fitzgerald, and you've got this other, what, the bohemian princess who, like, brought a tiger in there. Oh, yeah, Princess Parlotti. And then we were just going decade by decade because you have this incredible... Uh, kind of decade by decade timeline before you start the book. Oh, so, yeah. so that that gave us, uh, Victoria and I, when we were reading over it, like really a, a good sense of kind of the vibe from oh, each decade. Good. So, you know, we you have the 50s, you know, if you've mentioned Frank Sinatra, and yeah. there's this uh, cool chick who's like wearing pants doing burlesque. That's the woman who wrote the Eloise books. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like really cool. I mean, I was like, how do I approach the Eloise stuff? Because I'm not like a huge, If I don't know if you guys have actually read the books, but they're really not like kid books at all. It's so interesting. They're I haven't really, actually. They're very wordy. Yeah. They're very verbose. Yes. And my kids liked him because she's oh, doing really? wrong stuff. Oh, yes. So, so they're like, oh. Writing on the walls in permanent <laughs> markets. This yeah, kid gets it. Nice, right. <laughs> this kid gets it. I know. It. Well, it's interesting. And, and the cool is she's basically abandoned, right? She's got, like, the yeah. help there with her, and her mom is like, I'm off. I'm off yeah. jet-setting <laughs> yes. and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. But I felt like the woman who wrote it was so fascinating. Like you said, she wore she wore pants when, like, no Kitty. one wore pants. Um, yeah, Kay Thompson was her, like, you know, okay. stage name or whatever. She also, um, like, was really addicted to, like, methamphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> and like the Doctor Feelgood original Doctor Feelgood was like she did same Doctor like, Feelgood as like you know yes. suppo- allegedly Kennedy e- exactly and Jackie. exactly they all saw the same doctor her best friend was Judy Garland she was like my, Liza Minnelli's godmother Judy she Garland was, was totally straight edge yeah so. well, exactly <laughs> yeah right the both of them and you know she never had kids and stuff so I feel like the Eloise thing is sort of interesting I mean it really she really wanted it to be for adults she was really angry that it was considered a kids book that was not her intention but yeah so right every decade there's sort of some yeah there's this like different there's this different thing in the perception as it shifts of like what is class definitely shifts yeah and then you get to the trump era and it's like class becomes glitz yeah one step up from flash (laughs) flash yeah (laughs) i also just think it's interesting like the plaza was one of the first everyone talks about like billionaires row and like the the condominiums the the pied-a-terre issue the pied-a-terre tax the mansion you know this issue that we have all these like empty apartments wealthy apartments in new york and no one's in them and the plaza was really one of the first to kind of have that happen to it so like in every stage it's sort of at the forefront of these trends and even now you know back in 2007 is when these deals 
deals were closing 2008, more than half were shell companies, more than half were all cash. Many had issues with money laundering in them that, you know, that I found. And, um, uh, you know, it just really was symbolic of what's happened now. And, you know, obviously it was before Billionaire's Row was even built. So, um, you know, it's still pretty empty if you go. So, yeah. That, that's a, that's a good <laughs> There we note. go. The Plaza, how has it informed your work as like a real estate journalist? And is there, is there some overarching theme we should be uh, circling around? It really, you know, the Plaza was kind of this rich, iconic building with, with all this history, all these stories, all these lives lived. And today, very few New Yorkers ever go there to hang out, right? Uh, I, I was talking to some millennial and she was, <laughs> sorry, some younger person. And she was like, oh God, no, like, oh, her job is she's like an event planner. And she was like, I would never do an event at the Plaza because like now the cool thing is to take like, you know, warehouses in Brooklyn and, and turn them into cool spaces. And the Plaza is like this old fashion dotty thing, right? And um, I think it's like, you know, today the plaza Believe is, me, Gen Z is going to come up and like old-fashioned dotty things are going to be back well, in. Well, and, yeah. and, and, you know, and the plaza would be very psyched if that happened, but I feel sad about it because, you know— all the best rooms are now condominiums for the super wealthy. All the all the windows looking over, you know, Central Park are now private apartments, and many of them are are empty. Uh, most New Yorkers don't really go to the Plaza anymore to hang out the way that we once did, you know, decades ago. There's not really a hotel bar there so much. You know, there are, is the Rose Room and stuff, but it's not really the same thing. And I just feel like it's 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 somewhat, you know, the spirit of it's been gutted somewhat. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it's kind of symbolic of what people are complaining about in New York. You know, I am hopeful and I say this all the time, you know, Qatar, the Qataris have lots of money. Um, it really would take a lot of money. It's never going to be a big money earner for them, but it is a, a trophy property. They could put a lot of money in. They could pay the unions what they want. They could maybe lose some money on the restaurants or they've, you know, those spaces, but they could reopen them and I'm hopeful they will. So we'll see. Knock on wood, yeah. money. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. Get people it's, it's here. Sad, you know. Yeah. I don't know. And now, obviously, the Waldorf is turning into condos too, and you know, it's just it's a different thing now. So. Era of the great hotel. Although there's like some artsy hotels popping up uh, and around, like Chelsea Hotel, also. Yeah. The history well, of that's, that's its own thing. Yeah, yeah, it's and a, you know that's made, being made into apartments. So. Um. There we go. <laughs> on that, on that Poor New York. bright note, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, you'll have to come back when you finish your next book. I will. Wait, what's the next one about? Oh, secret, secret, uh, <laughs> secret New York. <laughs> Is it New York based? Can you tell us? No. Okay. No, it's not real estate. And I don't have the book deal yet, so it might be nothing. So we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Buy my book so I can get a new book deal. <laughs> I heard from a couple of listeners, so I can say with certainty that our, our last book guest, uh, Mark Allen Stamity, mm -hmm. um, we sold at least two copies of Amazing. McDoodle Street that I can vouch Whoa. for. That's what, awesome. What about, what about – um, Which is a great book and you should check out. I will. What about Straussbau, Victory City? Did we sell Victory any City is fantastic and I'm pretty sure – John, you can thank us for all your sales. Ron, you too. <laughs> but, but I, I do not have do any verification there. F A Q. Julie Saitow. Julie Saitow. 
I got this. I got this. Ready? FAQ NYC is supported by a grant from Civil Blockchain Company reinventing the economics of journalism and is a production of Racket Media. Shout out to Professor Christina Greer. Hey, Chrissy. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week's episode of Alice Brooklyn's Rent Stabilized Apartment. Big thank you to our guest this week, Julie Setow, and shout out to executive producer Alex Brooklyn, Victoria Menendez, Racket Media's first official employee, and producer Adam Camara, who recorded and mixed today's episode. Happy birthday to the other Adam, and remember, if you have questions, ask the FAQ. Check us out on social media. Follow us on the streets if you happen to see us. We have an Instagram. Slip and slide into the DMs. And by the way, her name is Victoria Mendez, not but, Menendez, oh, like the Menendez Oh, brothers. those are the killers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay. One more. No, I think we should keep chance. it all. Time. I think Harry, I'll keep give all me of it. one more chance. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Victoria Menendez. No, Victoria Mendez. All right, good night and good the more you know. Okay, wh- why don't we, why, we can just do this cleanly and well. You did it before, great, except for the Menendez, so he could just cut it and stick it. Victoria Mendez, Racket Media's first official employee. <laughs> <laughs>